Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we're taking a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my friend who likes to write letters, Palmer. How are you today? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing well. How are, like, How is your letter writing going? Uh, well, it's on hold because I had to watch movies for this episode, so naturally I just watched Midnight Sun five times. But you learned how to write letters is what you mean, well, right? Yeah. You know, or you keep up with the craft of writing letters. Well, anyway, we're here to talk about the 2007 Best Picture nominees. They are as follows. Little Miss Sunshine, Letters from Iwo Jima, Babe, The Departed, and The Queen. Which film do you whoa, think? Whoa, 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 whoa. Babel. <laughs> Babe. Babe, Pig in the City. I, that's coming up. That, I believe that. That, that, was a, that was a nominee. Yeah, uh, it was. That. It's funny that I that was I, I Ron Burgundy that <laughs> I read exactly as it was and I just watched the movie yesterday. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm gonna do that again. A little bit of sunshine, Letters from Iwo Jima, Babel, The Queen, and The Departed. I was really waiting for Babel. <laughs> Babel, no, it's Babel. It's not like people who pronounce bagels bagels. Like get yeah. out of here. The, those are horrible people. You shouldn't have them in your life. I agree. What do you think? One best picture. I uh, think you know. Yeah, no. It was The Departed. It was The Departed, yeah. Yeah. You have to say it like it's The Departed. No, you will get to that. I'm going to do that whole segment in a Boston accent. No. Yes, yes I am. Yes I am. Nope. Yes I am. I'm on strike. You can't stop me. Okay, well that's been Academy Rewind then, (laughs) because I'm not talking about five movies by myself. Yes, it was The Departed. Mm -hmm. Yes, do you feel better about that now? Not really. Yes, okay, well too bad. (laughs) All right, let's start with Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. Little Miss Sunshine, directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, written by Michael Arndt, starring Abigail Breslin, Greg Kinnear, Paul Dano, Alan Arkin, Tony Collette, and Steve Carell. This is the story of a family all about Abigail Breslin. I'm not going to rap. Nope. Okay, cool. For the love of God, don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, this is the story of a very dysfunctional family. Uh, who Steve Carell is this very, very smart man who has attempted to uh, take his life and is taken in by his sister and her and her family. And the youngest daughter is all about pageantry. And they find that the Little Miss Sunshine competition has an opening for her. And so they are off on a road trip to make sure that this little girl gets the pageantry of her dreams. And it is a comedy. Comedy, one would say. Indeed. I think it is comedy. Oh, it, it's a straight comedy. You think it's a straight comedy? Oh, I haven't I haven't laughed this much in a movie in a while. You liked this movie. I, I avoided this movie like the plague for the longest time because I didn't think I was going to. It looked like a very dry comedy. Yes. But it's not. Like, I found it, I wouldn't say slapstick comedy. No, there are definite moments of slapstick, right. though. But, like, this movie was laugh out loud funny to me. I think I think the movie deals with in some ways some serious subject matter in a funny way which is sometimes what a good comedy does. Right. But I like I I think I texted you uh, the, I hadn't seen the movie since it came out probably mm-hmm. so I, I had to revisit it. Yeah. And I completely forgot Steve Carell's character 
uh, is a um, attempted su- right attempt suicide yeah. before the movie starts, and I was like, "Wow, what a dark way to start a comedy!" Right, but he doesn't like start out trying to kill himself. Like he's already past that point when you catch up with him. Yes, absolutely. It's like you, really you more about me the... that you had texted me that, and then I'm watching the movie because I hadn't watched it yet. So I started watching the movie, and I'm like, I was expecting like the beginning ten minutes of Up. Oh sure, which that that. I don't think that movie's nearly as funny because of that first ten <laughs> minutes. I never recovered from that. No, you're just you're just demoralized. It's very difficult. It's a yeah. very difficult film to watch because yeah. of that first ten minutes. Uh, this film, I I think it, it was great. I don't think it was as good as I remembered it being, but you loved it. I did, and to be fair, I've only seen it once. Sure. And it was a different kind of comedy than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be Juno-esque. You thought more Juno, right. less Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Right. Sure. Good. Yeah, because that's, that's the... <laughs> that's the tone this movie <laughs> right. goes for. Um, but I feel like, because I didn't know Paul Dano was the brother until most of the way through, and I was like, oh, I wonder who this guy is. He's really good at this He's movie. really good. He is good when you give him stuff to do. Looking at you, Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very good in this movie. Most of the cast is is really good. Alan Arkin won Best Supporting Actor for this film. As well, he yeah, should he? See, that's know? this is good. So in our last episode, right. we talked about actors who win awards for doing the thing they do really well. Right. And I recognize they do it better than everybody else. I think Alan Arkin is the prime example in this movie of an actor doing a thing well that they do and winning an award for it. Um, I don't think he does cocaine well. No. Well, not the, not the actions of the act, but like the type <laughs> of character. This is a very, this is like that, um, like off like caring and warm but also right. in your face Rough. and funny yeah. like that that type of that character character archetype is right. Alan Arkin which is weird because I first came to Alan Arkin with a gold cup no oh. um with... from the movie Indian Summer which is one of my favorite movies of all time it's a racing movie no it's about um Indians. summer camp oh okay uh he plays the owner of a summer camp and he uh, he brings back kids, uh, now grown up, but kids from his past, and he's telling them, I'm shutting this place down, and I want one of you to buy it off of me. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a great movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. It was in the 90s. It's got Kevin Pollock. Um, I haven't seen Kevin Pollock in a long time. He's really good in this. Uh, it's But like he's he's a little bit different than I've seen him in other movies. Okay. So that Alan Arkin is my Alan Arkin archetype. Sure. So this, I think, is a little outside of that for me. Uh, that, you know, that's interesting. So maybe the way you first see an actor becomes yeah. the way you view that character sometimes. That's interesting. And sometimes they stick with that. Like the first time I ever saw Tommy Lee Jones in a film was The Fugitive. Right. And, and then the only other time you saw him was in U.S. Marshals and never again. And you're like, wow, he's so similar. <laughs> <laughs> I, but that's a but that's a prime example. Like e- even he actually even Tommy Lee Jones won for that part. But that's a, that's like the type of yeah. part that they play really well, mm-hmm. uh, deservedly so. I think I think he's really good in this film. I think everybody's really good in this film. Yeah, everyone kind of fights for their own for their own time. Mm-hmm. Like when they're given their moment to shine, they do. Abigail Breslin when she's dancing, she's like so a stripper, talented. Yeah. So well, I I didn't. That was a weird part to say where she's it was, so talented. It was an uncut. I was going to say she was so talented before I knew what example you were going to give. Right. 
Well, but luckily she, we have a cat that'll edit that out. She is fearless. The cat is male, so not the cat. Um, but I, th- she is a fearless little actress. Like, oh, she's going up and like, doing, like watching her in this. I like the parts that she's taken later on. I can see like, you know, her progression and her thought process. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't care about being pegged. She wants to do stuff that other people might shy away from. This. Um, her parts in Scream Queens, which oddly enough, as I was watching this movie, I think I even tweeted out. I'm like, I miss Scream Queens. Scream Queens was funny. It yeah. was a good show. I didn't care for the second season as much. Uh, the second season wasn't as good, but she's she's usually pretty good. She was she was very good. Who I was actually really struck by in this film was Steve Carell, and I know he's a really good actor. It's, but this this was really one of the first movies that he did. In the height of office fame? Well, it's funny. This movie was done before The Office and before... Um, Another movie? I was going to... I, I want to say Bruce Almighty, but I'm not sure. And, well, he was in Bruce Almighty. Right. Um, but essentially, like, the director had to fight the studio to get Carol cast in this movie because they didn't feel like he was a big enough name. And sure. They, and they needed a name. Subsequently, because of issues with getting the movie out there, between them filming it and when it gets released, The Office comes out and he has an oh, and Forty Year Old Virgin came out. That oh, was the movie. okay. So, like, the studio gets rewarded for going on this going on for going limb. on the limb because now he's the biggest star in the world at the time. Wow, um, that's. But this is also like to me, this is almost kind of like his Truman Show because he is a very different character. Here than he's more known for. I agree. Though I think post office, people kind of sit back and look at Steve Carell as Steve Carell, not as just the funny guy yeah. who was in the office or 40 year old virgin or get smart or anything like that. Ooh, I forgot get smart. You're right. Um, also had the rock. Yeah. Let's not forget. It also had the uh, Anne Hathaway. The guy from Heroes. The guy from. Oh, Mila Milo yeah. Ventilub. No, Venta, Venta. no, the the main, the, the main the, hero, the guy whose name is actually Hero. Oh yeah, okay, <laughs> great. Yeah, I forgot he was in that. I yeah, he plays Lloyd. Sure, sure, he does. Yeah. Anyway, Steve Carell is great. Tony yeah. Collette is great. She's brilliant as always. I love a film which is not nominated for an Academy Award. Have you ever seen The Way Way Back? No, no, no. It's an excellent film. Coming of age, uh, Steve Carell plays the boyfriend of Tony Collette, mm-hmm. and her, uh, they are they have taken both their kids and they are vacationing on Cape Cod at his summer home. It is remarkably good film, but I had forgotten that they were both in this together, and so it was almost nice to think back and be like, "Oh, they've worked together a few times now. Yeah. They have a good working relationship." I it's wonder so is way way back done by the same either director or writer. I don't then that would know. Make sense. I don't think it's a Michael Arndt film. Okay. I feel like I would know that for sure. Okay. But I will get back to you about the directors because I'm not sure who directed it. Um so there were a couple things about this movie that uh, we talked about like how good it is. Um couple minor things is Greg Kinnear seems a little wasted for me. You know, I th- that's a good point because 
I love Greg Kinnear. Yeah. We said that on our Good As It Gets as Good As It Gets episode. Greg Kinnear and more things. Although he was just in I was just looking at his IMDB. He's got stuff coming. And he's in all things. He's in still all things. But he's he's not up to his usual great Greg Kinnearness, I guess. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. He feels it feels like a part that could be played by other people besides him. Yeah. Um and then the second one, and I know movies are not shot in Sequential order. order, yes. Unless it's very rare, like if they're very tight on filming schedule, they have to do it that way. But it, what I didn't like was the scene where, so the scene where they bring the bus in to get the to find out why it it won't sure turn, the, turn over the garage right, and they're like, well, you can bypass, you know, it's your clutch, you can bypass the first two gears, park on a big hill, or you have to push it to start it, sure, and then pop it into third and go yep literally the next scene they're at a gas station getting gas and they're on flat land and they leave abigail breslin behind accidentally but they just turn on the bus and go and and i saw it coming i'm like that bus is just gonna go yep and it went and then they come back to go pick her up and they have to open the door and they're like we can't stop Yep, you're totally right. You're absolutely. You know, I thought that too when I was watching it, and yeah. I kind of was like, "Well, maybe it's a hill, and it doesn't look like it. It's fine, <laughs> whatever." When we said incline, we meant ant hill. My favorite scene from this film was when Paul Dano finds out that he's colorblind, and he goes and running he, out like, of, and he yeah. goes running out of the van. I that, love that, that scene. That was when I texted you. It's amazing. Paul Dano can do stuff when he's given stuff to do. Right? Yeah. That, I yeah. That scene. Well, he doesn't talk most of the film. No, but which he's is, still kind but, of doing something. Well, that's what I mean. Even even not talking, he really gets something across. Yeah. Whereas in other things I've seen him in, I was like, it's fine. But this film gave me almost a renewed like hope for Paul Dano. Like, I want to see more things with him now. Spoiler, we're going backwards. The next film he's in is There Will Be Blood. Buh. Buh. <laughs> he was in Swiss Army Man that I haven't. Scene oh, yet, was but, yeah, but I, I still would see like to. Yeah, well, then maybe we'll watch it. Okay. But let's talk about another film we already watched, Letters from Iwo Jima, directed by Clint Eastwood, written by Paul Haggis and Iris Yamashita. Oh, Paul and Haggis wrote Tadem- And uh, based on the book by Tadamichi Kurabashi. Okay. I nailed that. Yeah, good job. Starring Ken Wanatanam. Well, you, you failed was, that one. Dang it. I always want to add more syllables <laughs> into his name. Ken Wanatabi, uh, Kuzuri Niomaya, uh, Tsuyoshi Ahara, and Ryo Kasi. Okay. It was pretty close that time. I didn't I didn't realize Paul Haggis directed this. He didn't. I mean, Clint, wrote this. Clint Eastwood, um, yes. Because Paul Haggis is the writer and director of Crash. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, you love Crash, don't you? Well, we'll find out. Um, when you revisit it. Yes, yeah, Which I believe is next season. I or think, it might be. Uh, no, it's 2005. Um, but he also did a couple, he also did a couple other uh, Clint Eastwood right, movies. And I, w- I want to say one of them was... Um, Jersey Boys. Jersey no, Boys. No. Flags of Our Father. Flag I, of Our Father. I mean, fathers. he might have because... This was a companion piece to Flag of Our Fathers. That's right. It's the, the same story told from the opposite side. Right. Although there's no, there's only one scene that connects the two of them, and it has to do with uh, the flamethrower scene with the bunker. Yes. Um, but initially, it was all supposed to be one movie, 
told from both sides, and they figured it was too long to do it that way, mm-hmm. so they split it. That being said, I feel like this is only half a movie. Like it, it knowing that there's a companion piece out there, and knowing that I had the same feeling with Flags of Our Fathers. I think I would have preferred a one, one movie shorter, mm-hmm. because war movies don't typically show you both sides of the argument. No, that's what I actually was really taken with by this film, mostly because you also don't get American films that show you another side. Right. The downside to the way it's presented here as just one movie is like I don't have a connection to them. Okay. Like, I don't... Feels racist, but continue. No, like... like, I think I know what you mean. As an American, you know, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, that's not the only reason we joined World War II, but it's a big reason. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that country bombs Pearl Pearl Harbor, they're the enemy. Sure. Like, I don't... So... What you were taught in school, I understand. (laughs) So, from the opposite point of view... I identify with them as humans, but at the same time, like you're not, I'm not really rooting for them. Sure, I understand. Like what you they mean. sided with the wrong people. I understand what you mean, but I think there's a there's a very fine line between blaming everybody for the executive orders of a few, right? You know, because the whole point of I'm this not- film is like. The Americans are coming. This is sacred ground. We've right. got us in. And actually, when they said that in the film, my first thought was like, "Well, you attacked us, exactly." So, and you know, the other thing is like this movie at no point gives any sort of like any sort of, like any sort of indication that the Japanese ever have a chance in this fight. Like even times it's in a, desperation from the almost the the outset, right? So that also kind of takes you out of it. Like, there's no, like, well, we're rallying now. We might be able to pull this out. Sure. I, well, there's a rallying moment. No, Ken Wanatabi has this big, like, we're probably going to die, but we're going to do it anyway speech. Right. But but it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't even remotely, like, look to affect something. So I think this movie is be- I think this movie would have been better served if you take out some of the parts with Flags of Our Father, put them together, because then you get a better mirror of the human on both sides. Sure. Because like, you can go from the Americans to the Japanese, like, they're both the same. They're, they're, they have to be there. Like, their orders are to be there. And it, I think it would give everyone more of a human quality. I don't think you're wrong in, in that way at all. I think that, say, like, the flashback scenes in this film are, the, are what added the characterization. Mm-hmm. And if they were to, if you were to edit together Flag of Our Fathers and Letters of Iwo Jima, Letters from Iwo Jima, then you would get rid of those flashbacks probably, and you yeah. would just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. However, what you said like the the film doesn't really ever give you any hope that they're going to win. I liked that because as we've talked about on previous episodes, it annoys me when films or stories play out like it's going to have a different outcome than it really is. Yeah. And it just like it's so annoying. It's like, called dramatic tension. But when the but when it's not faithful to the real history, it, it kind of annoys me in some way. And I, 
it depends on the. F- Sometimes it depends on the film mm-hmm. or like how well known the story is. I think that makes a difference. Like if I was going to watch, I don't know the. Uh, like, let's say I was watching a story about Julius Caesar. You're like, oh, will they, will they stab him? Like, who knows? Like, obviously they stab him. So why are, like, it's it's not a mystery to anybody. So why are you going to play it, to come up with a different way to play it? And I yeah. think this film came up with a different way to play it. And so I was satisfied that way. Okay. But... I might also well. I mean, maybe I'm not the weird one because this movie was nominated for an Academy Award. Now so. you're the weird one. Okay. Well, also stop filming in gray, people. There's a whole rainbow of colors. That is a Clint Eastwood staple to do a washout. I think not. Not this badly. It was a. It was very. It was very washed. But I think it added to the bleakness of their desperation because if it looked beautiful with their black sand beaches and all right. this stuff and you'd be like wow that's not so bad i mean it, it, you're vacationing on a lovely island i get i get that argument but there were times it was very hard to tell the people from the foreground maybe you need a better tv uh or no. glasses yeah yeah i would look weird you would look weird with glasses. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You have such big eyes. That I they, do. Yeah, you wouldn't want to distract them with glasses. <laughs> Me and Little Red Riding Hood's grandmother. <laughs> That's both right. Have big eyes. <laughs> this film won best sound editing. It did. How do you Which feel? About I feel that? like that. That's like a staple of a war movie. I feel like it you, is a staple of a war like, movie. Like if you if you made a war movie, chances are you're winning best sound mixing, unless you really are bad. That's that's a good in which case you're probably not getting nominated anyway. Good call. Let's talk about Babel, not Babe, Babe Big in the City. <laughs> Babel, directed by Alejandro Inarito. Yeah, I forgot this. I forgot he directed. This. Me too. I was ex- when I saw his name pop up in the yeah. credits, or when I was writing it in here, I was like, <laughs> like oh, oh, the Revenant guy. Yeah, this guy. Anyway, uh, written by Guillermo Arriaga. Yeah, I said that right. Go me. Starring Brad Pitt, Kate Blanchett, Gael Garcia, uh, Bernard, and Rinko Kikuchi. Okay. Yes. Yes, sir. Anyway, Babel is the story of four different... Babel is the story of four different sets of people, and it is how their stories interlock with one another. I'm going to say three and a half stories interlock with one another. I'm going to say three. I'm gonna say I'm gonna stick with three and a half, but I think yeah. we're talking about the same. Oh, we story. definitely are. There's no way you're not talking about the same story. Yep, and, and so it's um these uh it's these kids who are shepherds in Afghanistan. Is that where they are? No, uh, Morocco. Morocco. They're in Morocco. Yeah. And they are shepherds, and they are given a rifle by their father to fend off the jackals, and they are told that the bullets only go three kilometers or something like that. And Which is amazing. Like, I assume that's very far because I don't know kilometers. That's I'm right. sorry. I'm, I'm sorry I'm on the metric system. <laughs> Just like, no, if you were on the metric system, you would be looking at kilometers. Then what's the inch system? D- not the metric system. All right, I'm not on the metric system. There you go. 
I'm not editing that out. I'm going to let you look like an idiot. That's fine. <laughs> I can't save you every episode. Oh, oh, you screw up the intro every single time. I did it this week. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did it because I didn't want to hear it. It's like I could throw it back in your face. Anyway, right. anyway. Yes, the bullets so, only go three kilometers, which I assume is very far. It seems to be far, but not super far. And the kids are arguing about it. And so they start to shoot at um, cars um, yeah, passing naturally. by. Naturally, because they're kids and you gave them a rifle. Right. And and one of those bullets goes through a bus. A bus. And then it kind of spirals from there. And the film is edited in a way that you're not watching the story sequentially. You're watching the story. I know things you hate. You're watching the story as each climaxes to its own particular beat, which I thought was really interesting. Like, this movie did not win Best Editing, which was almost surprising because stories that are told out of sequence can get really confusing really quickly. And I don't think this did. I thought it was very easy to follow. I mean, to be fair, you don't really know that it's out of sequence until the end. That. Really? You don't think so? I thought it was. I figured, like, I thought it was out of sequence right away. Really? Yeah. Kate Blanchett gets shot in the shoulder 20 minutes into, like, after the kids shoot the bus. Okay, before we go any further, I'm sorry you're going to hate me for saying this, but this was the best use of Kate Blanchett in a movie. I I thought she was very good in this film. Uh, I mean, she's not really given anything to do. I thought she was. But I don't typically like her, so Uh, just seeing her just, like, lying there with a bullet wound, I'm like, yes, you got Kate Blanchett arguably at the height of her... At the height of her popularity, because this is after Lord of the Rings. Yep. So she's kind of this riding is a wave. Steve Zizou uh, era, right? Yeah. This is Life Aquatic. So, like, you got her at her zenith, and you're like, we're going to shoot you, and you're just going to lie there. But you get to work with Brad Pitt. So right. I thought Brad Pitt was very subdued in this film. Uh, he's kind of always subdued. That's true, except in Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. He's very wrathful. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's a <laughs> what? what? <laughs> you just did a thing, right? Because I said um. Yeah. And you were you were doing yeah. so well. This I was whole episode. So, uh, Brad Pitt does the does his thing. The movie's kind of told out of sequence. Let's get to the important thing. What, for the love of God, was that storyline? With the with the Asian schoolgirl, which was only in there to me because it didn't really connect to the movie. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Her father connected to the film, but but it was only barely. And barely it was only I, that was like that was the thing. It like felt like the all these stories being connected was supposed to be a mystery somehow. Yet that's how the film is sold, and it's in the synopsis. Right. Like it's very obvious they're all connected. It's the very dour and sad love, actually. Of- well, it's funny, because like, throughout the movie, I'm watching this storyline take place, and we'll get to my problems with the storyline in a second, because I do. Uh, the... And throughout most of it, I'm like, I don't remember how this, like, how does this connect to the other stuff? And it's, oh, he gave the guy the rifle to begin with. Yeah, see, I... It's just such a throwaway thing. I, 
Okay, so he. I really enjoyed this movie. I had never seen it before. Okay, this was the first time. And wh- halfway through the movie, I was like, I totally get why this was nominated. Yes, and I totally get why it didn't win. So, he, um, it does its thing well, but right. it doesn't do it well enough. My thought process watching this movie, because I like, I like Alejandro. Alejandro. Is Alejandro. Alejandro. Yes. Yeah. I like Alejandro. I like his movies. Every so often, like, when we saw The Revenant, I was very, like, oh, this is going to be very, like, boring and drawn out, and there's not going to be a lot of talking, and he found a way to make that work. For this movie, my in my head, about halfway through to two-thirds of the way through, I'm sitting there, I'm like, the, the acting is just okay, mm-hmm. nothing stellar, the writing is kind of thin, Yep, but he's, like... I'm engrossed in this movie. Mm. Like he is finding a way to make this B, B, like solid B style movie, and he's finding a way to elevate it to the point that I'm like, I like I started watching this in the morning, and I went. I was like, I, all right, I'm going to go make myself coffee during a boring part. And in my head, I'm like, well, this is a boring part, but I didn't want to get away. Like I didn't want to go and get that cup of coffee. Like he, that's, he finds that's, a way to keep. That me there. is the sign of a good film, right. I think. I so if you had to rank the stories, so you have the boys, you have Cape Blanchett and Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. you have the, the the nanny, right? Where um and of the kids of Brad Pitt and Cape mm-hmm. Blanchett, and then you have and then you have the Japanese girl. The Japanese girl's stories at the bottom of the list, right? Because all she does. Is try and try and hook up with almost any man she passes, and likes to show off her her naked body. Like right, I don't understand. It was very. I'm I'm sure like those scenes were so uncomfortable to watch. They were very uncomfortable. Even though I went back and looked, she's my age. Wow. So at the time of this movie, this is ninety seven twenties. No, it's two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Wow. She's in her 20s. Wow, she is in her 20s. Yeah. Did you just have a revelation of how old you are? No, I I just had a revelation of how old she was in this movie. Yep. Because she's only supposed to be like 15. Right, but but they rarely cast people of age, especially when doing the things that she was doing. But it's still like, it still felt, it felt dirty to watch it. Definitely. And it felt, it felt very uneasy. But that's to me the only reason that 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 stuff is in this movie. Other than that, that doesn't affect the movie at all. I agree because, I mean, in everybody's learning something about themselves in this movie, right? And I say that like it's a bad thing, but it's not. Like the boys are learning, learning about the, not to shoot cars. They're learning about the consequences of their actions, uh. and then. And then Kate Blanchett and Brad Pitt are learning to reignite the love in their marriage. Oh, I was going to say not travel abroad or that. Uh, and then, and then, in some way, I guess they're all learning about the consequences of their actions, right? Because the boys, the boys do this thing, and then Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett are trying to heal a marriage, and then the nanny, and then the nanny shouldn't have taken the kids, have to, taken Mexico. The kids to Mexico, even though it was her son's wedding that she was going to miss. Now, because she was supposed to be really like somebody was supposed to come and that's, pick, and watch the kids. That's right. And I'm like, I Something might have ha- somehow missed it. 
something happened in that where they weren't coming and so right. she tried to give the kids to like some of her friends yeah. and nobody would nobody would take yeah. them and so she just took them in the car and yeah. brought them anyway her story was my favorite i thought it was so interesting i really liked her story i would say the brad pitt story their story the kids and yeah the kids i think were particularly good at the beginning yep. and then i became a little less interested with their story after that although i will say I think there's a movie for that last story that I dislike because I dislike it in the context of this movie. I don't feel it dis- I don't feel it has a place in this movie. Yep. And while it was very uncomfortable, I recognize that's what it was supposed to be, but I feel like there's a movie there on its own. Yes, I and agree. And that movie I'd be very interested to see how it's navigated. I think there are films like very much like that that movie. I don't know if it would be kind anything of. completely I mean, I, I original. Like, I wouldn't say like American Beauty, but American Beauty has aspects of it. This whole film kind of reminded me of Atonement with more interlocking stories. Okay. The consequences of actions and then not understanding things in perspective right. and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think it did it as well, even though Atonement happened after this. But Well, you, that's you because Atonement had Academy Rewind favorite Sir Ronan. Oh, you did it. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you. This film won Best Music. What do you think about that? Uh, okay. It was fine. I, I thought it. it was good. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. It was good. I... Possible spoiler? Maybe not the best. Maybe it was. Who knows? Who knows? Let's talk. The Shadow knows. That's who. The Shadow knows. We are blowing through these movies, but I don't care. And I feel like we've actually given good insight, so I don't know how come we can't do this all the time. I don't know, because that last episode was so long. Well, that last episode was ten movies. That's why it was so long. You probably just finished it as this new episode came out. That's very possible. Let's talk about The Queen. Directed by Stephen Frears, written by Peter Morgan, starring Helen Mirren, Michael Sheen, James Cronwell, and Alex Jennings. Let's talk about this movie. This, oh, I, I can tell you about what it's about. You could. The Queen, Helen Mirren, Queen Elizabeth II, is... Her Royal Highness. Her Royal Highness, ma'am, as in ham. Ham, not, not ma'am. Mom, as in palm, which is actually a line from the King's Speech, but it's close enough. Okay. Yeah, ma'am, as in ham, not mom, as in palm. I'll say it wasn't palm in this movie. No, I know it wasn't. I think it was farm. Farm, that's it, it was farm. Anyway, this is a story about the ascension of Tony Blair as as prime minister in 1997 and the queen grappling with the death of Princess the, the the labor the labor party kind of coming in and being like we need to change some things and then being like maybe they won't who knows but then also the death of princess diana and then what the what that does to the royal family and to the country and how the family is reacting to that and whether the questionable nature of the monarchy in the 20th century now 21st century and so on and so on and so on this was the first film in what became peter morgan's whole career now <laughs> basically because he did it he has the queen which was the first foray and then he did on stage with helen mirren again he did the audience in which she played the queen and then people that she continually met with throughout her career would like come and come in and come and okay. go and then we almost got a chance to see that and didn't and i don't remember why we skipped it but I'm sure there was a good reason, and there better have been, because I really want to see it. Like uh, the play? Yeah. 
It was one of those Fathom event oh, live then things. I blame you. Yeah, okay. Because I fine. didn't know about it. That's fine. And now Peter Morgan does the crown on... Does he? Yes, he does the crown okay. on Netflix, which is in its which is a, second which season. Which is a prequel of this movie. In a sense. So the crown goes through, each season goes through a few years yeah. of the life of Queen Elizabeth II. And then they kind of change actresses every, they're, like every two years you get the same cast and then they skip more. And then another two seasons you get a different cast because they keep going up and up. Yeah. So I would actually really like to see if he revisits this yeah. story when he gets there. Um, and he, or so. if maybe Helen Mirren comes back and does Netflix. <laughs> that would be great. So that's the story. Yes. What did you think about it? Um, Tell well, me more. So how old were you when Princess Diana died? I was 10. You were 10. All right. I kind of remembered. I remember it. You know, I remember I was actually out at I was actually out at a friend's house we were playing cards and I got home late. Like it was 11 11:30. Playing and cards. Was, what were you? 1950 were you playing bridge? No, we were playing Magic the Gathering. Oh, okay. <laughs> a different kind of card. <laughs> yeah. Um so I got home a little bit late and it was a school night, but my parents were still up and the news had broken, and I don't remember if she was pronounced dead yet, but I remember knowing okay. about it. Um, this is the first... I think pr- the death of Princess Diana is the first big news story I remember. Yeah. That, that makes... I have, like, a, like an awareness of, like, this yeah, was a big you wouldn't, deal. You wouldn't, well, I mean, you might have remembered uh, the attempted uh, Reagan assassination. Nope. I have no recollection no. of okay. that. Because it was this, and then, I re- and then the Clinton scandal. Which was, like, the next week. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so... That being said, knowing knowing about Princess Diana's death and having watched the funeral, to go back and revisit this movie with now the knowledge of apparently all of Britain was going nuts over this. Yeah, I had no idea. You know, to the point where apparently they were upset that the flag, which is only supposed to signify the queen being present. In, in the in Buckingham Palace, That's right. wasn't it half mast? And I'm sitting there going, "Why is this even a concern for you?" Well, this is so. This is really this is interesting. So I went I went to England, however long ago that was from now, two years. about a year ago. Did you go last year? I went last year. Okay. So I'm trying to think of when this episode will come so about out. About a year in, ago. About a year ago. A little over a year ago. By the time this episode yeah. comes out, I think, and. There was a there was a lot of talk on tours about the monarchy, obviously touring Buckingham Palace and all these different places. But there's there's we as Americans we don't hold a sense of tradition the way that the United Kingdom does, or we're especially much, we're much younger. We're much younger, and the whole point of America was that we threw off tradition, right? And we said, "Bah, we're going to do our own thing." And we don't really have big traditions that way. Like traditions are not a thing that Americans hold on to. We're always going to do the next new thing. That's kind of our weird tradition in our own way, doing a new thing. Britain doesn't work like that. They do what they've always done. And the monarchy, which has existed for over a thousand years, does exactly that. Right. And now they're getting pushback from the people from doing that. Right. In this movie. Exactly. Um, Martin Sheen was really good as Tony as Tony Michael Blair. Sheen. Michael Sheen 
was really good as Tony Blair. Also a character, he a character, a person, because Tony Blair was real. Yeah. He has played multiple times. Did, well, he also played him in A Special Relationship, Yes, right? he did, okay. which is a great movie. Yeah. Which is after this, because... Yes, because it's, it's when it's during the scandal. It is... Oh, that's a great... So... Okay, so if you're tracking Tony Blair, everybody loves Tony Blair. Yeah, until the war in Iraq, where he where he backed President Bush, right? And then everybody hated Tony Blair after that. Well, it was a bit, and she hints at that in this. For the Queen hints at that in this film because it's obviously this film was filmed after the downfall of Tony Blair, if you want to call it that. Where she said they'll turn on you in a dime. It happens to everybody, and it'll happen to you. So the special relationship is when Bush first becomes president and Blair's kind of enamored with him in his own way and then 9/11 and then the like yeah. aftermath of that I think. Um I feel I don't know how this movie is trying to play the monarchy cuz it feels that it keeps throwing snide shots at it. Um whether through whether through maybe skillfully editing Princess Diana interviews. Like I know she kind There was of, a know, lot of footage in the she, film. She divorced out of the monarchy. That's right. And I'm not big into her history or the or the history between her and the monarchy. Like the clips they show is definitely like her kind of parting shots at the monarchy. Sure. Um I think it was it in some way was trying to demystify Diana. I think it was showing. See, I didn't. I didn't get that. I. I. It felt like it was try. In some ways, it was building her up because that's the way that the country saw her. Yeah. But it was also giving us a family portrait of the monarchy in a way that they a family that has in a weird way legendary status because yeah. they are royalty. They're literal literal royalty, yeah. and we don't have that. So the closest we get is the Kardashians or the Kennedys, Don't, or no. but you understand what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm fine with I'm fine with the Kennedys. Yeah, but you, I almost the Kennedys more than the Kardashians. Yeah. But like, the, the, they're the only kind of family that we have that you go, oh, what are they up to? They're not like us. Right. Blah blah blah. And I and I get that, but I feel like the movie, like it takes. And maybe it was written this way for the for the for the reason. So this scene comes across better. Is it feels like this movie piles on the monarchy a lot for being for doing what they felt is in the tradition of Britain and what they're supposed to do. And even to the point where the queen finally drafts a speech, like after feeling pressure, she's like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a speech." Yeah, and the um. The the the, the, um, the person the, the place where the prime minister is at Downing Street. Yeah, so Downing Street gets the copy of the speech ahead of time. Yep, and he gives it to Tony Blair, and he's like, "Oh, you might want to wipe the frost off of it first. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a fine. It's like not a great speech, but it's a good speech. Well, okay, and so it takes Tony Blair to like, no, they're doing the best they can. Well, so here's the thing. Tony Blair, the character of Tony Blair in this film, is the one that we're supposed to say in a weird way, almost as Americans follow, Mm -hmm. because he starts the film as Tony Blair, we're going to modernize the United, we're going to modernize England. 
And then by the end of the film, because of the events of the death of Princess Diana, he kind of comes around to, no, this is why the monarchy is important. So shut your faces. I'm Tony Blair and she's the queen and you better damn be grateful. And so I don't think the movie's down on the monarchy. I think it presents itself that way. So you understand Tony's position, but then you're supposed to follow his track up into believing in what the royal family actually stands for. And then understanding the process of how they think versus how everyone else thinks. It's that classic, like, behind clothes like i want to be in the room where it happens yeah. like it's that that kind of storytelling yeah my my last kind of thing on this movie will be um i get on you for always complaining that oh i know because it's based on a true story i know the ending sure so don't try and play it off like i don't sure and my thing is you drop me in the middle of a based on a true story thing and you never give me any sort of like context, so I'm trying to race to catch up if I don't yep. know what's going on. I I I knew the event of Diana's death, yep. and I knew the funeral. I didn't know the workings of the British government at the time, or any of the political motives or histories. Yep, this movie is a perfect example of how to do a good job. With a based on a true story, I never felt like I didn't know what I needed to know, and I never felt like the movie just kind of assumed I was smarter than what I was. It gave me enough information to kind of go forward with it at its same pace without bogging down. Wow, that's that's very good. That's that's really good. I also felt that about this film, and I like British history, and I like the monarchy. I'm a huge fan of The Crown. I love that show, so I in a weird way was it was fun to skip forward and so i'm glad to hear you say that because sometimes you take for granted things that you know i guess but even i didn't know a lot of the, like the working the how the queen saw tony blair or things like that and i guess i don't know the separate i mean we're not in the room mm-hmm. the real room so you know what what the real relationship was like this is all based on accounts yeah. and people say so and everything like that I thought Helen Mirren was excellent, as she is in everything. She's always good. I don't think James Cromwell was a great Philip. It was weird. Like it, it took a few scenes before I realized that was James Cromwell. I kind of missed him in the opening credits. Yep. And I'm like, that guy kind of looks familiar. And then I was like, oh, it's James Cromwell. Yeah, he one of the the only non-Brit in the film. Yeah. And so, like, and I knew his ac- his accident didn't feel real to me, and so it just kind of took me out every time he was on screen. Although, Philip is... Isn't Philip uh, Scottish? He's Greek. He's Greek? Okay. He's Greek. Well, I But don't... he was educated in Scotland. All right, because I was going to say, the, like, any, almost any time I see Philip, he seems to have, like, the kilt on. He's the Duke of Edinburgh. Right. So, like, maybe that's why I just naturally assume, like, James Cromwell, like, had a decent Philip because he's also he, oh, sure. is Scottish, right? Or he's I, is he Irish. No, he was born in L.A. Really? Yeah. For some reason, I remember, like, him, like, supposedly really having an accent. Me too, but I, I looked it up. 
because I, I was like, oh, his voice doesn't so sound So he's from Los right. Angeles, Scotland. Possibly. Okay. Yeah, he's he's from, I mean, he could have moved when he was really young, yeah. and, and that's where you get the accent. I just naturally assume his accent in L.A. Confidential is, the, is his real It is accent. not his real voice. So my, my one bit of, my one bit of interesting factoid is, so Alex Jennings, uh, one is in Babel, which I think is interesting. So the guy who plays Charles, Prince okay. Charles, is also in Babel. But Alex Jennings plays Prince Charles, the son of Queen Elizabeth II, in The Queen. But he plays her uncle, um, the abdicated Edward, oh, yeah, yeah. in The Crown, which I thought also, you know, Peter yeah. Morgan. So I thought that was cool that he's going around playing different members of the royal family. It's the circle of life. Uh yeah. Let's talk about the departed. Ah, that was a good that was a good transition. Circle of life, the departed. <laughs> Boom. There's so many departed in this movie. <laughs> anyway, director Martin Scorsese, writer I'm William Monaghan, <laughs> Alan Mack, Felix Chang, starring Jack Nicholson, Matt Damon, Leo DiCaprio, Mark Wahlberg, and Martin Sheen. So anyway, let's talk about it. No, not with that accent. <laughs> it's too bad I've already started. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, so anyway, so this is the this is a story all about how Jack Nicholson turned Boston upside down. That was pretty good, <laughs> and kind of slightly based on Whitey Bulger. Kind of slightly based on Whitey Bulger. Yeah. He doesn't do a Whitey impression, but well, Whitey. that's because at the time nobody knew who Whitey was. That's like, right. He was he was just like a vague sketch. Yep. And now he's dead. dead? Yeah. Yeah. Dead. Okay. So anyway, so it's about uh, one cop, one cop, and one guy who working for Jack Nicholson the mob boss and how they uh, they do an old switcheroo like Prince and the Popper <laughs> they're both trying to find the mole the mole in the other the mole in the other yeah i'm going to say it flat out i don't love the departed i think it's i a, thought it was you that that yeah, didn't like it yeah i think it's a no it's a good movie it is i think it's a it's a really good cop movie don't really get w- why everyone loves it the way that they Martin do. Scorsese. You think that's it? That is. I, I there Martin, are other films of thing. his that I think are way better. It's than Martin the Scorsese. It's Jack Nicholson, who's great because it's, he's Jack Nicholson. It's Matt Damon who's, at Matt Damon's zenith. That's true. It's not it's, Leo DiCaprio at Leo DiCaprio's zenith, though. Um, I think arguably, he's bigger. I think he's bigger now than he was when this film was made. That's that's tough because he's been big since Titanic. That's a good point. Like uh, he's kind of even before that. He's what? kind of ridden that wave since then. Yep. Um. So uh, while I would say it's probably not him in Edit Zenith, I think that's because since then he's won an Oscar for Best Acting. Sure. Like if Matt Damon won an Oscar this year for Best Acting, I would then move his zenith. Okay, that makes sense. I understand what you mean. Um, so you have those. You have Alec Baldwin. You have Martin Sheen. You have Donnie, uh, not Donnie, Marky Mark. Marky Mark. At his, I would probably say at his zenith as well. You think so? No. Yeah. No, I think, I think he's at, I think he's at that now. I don't think so. I think he's riding the wave now. I think now. this kind of rejuvenated him. Definitely. This was the, this was the movie where people went, oh, he can do things yeah. still. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. He's good. So, I mean, that being said, I don't typically like gangster movies. And while this is a cop gangster movie, I feel this is 
probably my, like I'm not a huge fan of uh, Goodfellas. Yep, I know that's sacrilege, Meh. but I'm not. I really like Casino. Yep, but I would say aside from Casino, this is probably in my mind Scorsese's best kind of gangster movie. Wow, because it doesn't rely on you maybe kind of rooting for the gangsters. Yep, that is like, absolutely correct. It showed like. Jack Nicholson's story arc is him getting more and more unhinged. Yes. From not knowing the mole. That's right. And knowing that the cops could be breathing down, even though he's also an informant for the police. Yep. As it turns out at the end, spoiler. So, I'm, sure, I'm sure most people yeah. have seen The Departed. So I th- my biggest complaint with this movie is the Boston accent. I hate movies that take place in Boston. Well, this was really the it was one of the first Boston movies. This film started along with Goodwill Hunting. No, this film was before Goodwill Hunting. No. So Yes, we're Goodwill Hunting is in the 90s. Oh yeah, right. Okay. I was thinking episode order. I was I was getting <laughs> all mixed up. So Goodwill Hunting kind of started that Kind of started filming that, in uh, filming in Boston wave, but The Departed was really the movie that people went, "Oh, we could really film in Boston and get yeah, tax they, breaks and stuff like yeah, that." Yeah, because they they did film most of this in Boston. That's right. A uh, a lot of Boston, but a lot of New York in this film. Yeah, a lot was filmed in New York. Um, if I remember correctly, you don't. No, I I do. Jack Nicholson refused to wear what? a. <laughs> A um, fedora, a hat Baseball with hat. a Boston sports team. Yeah, he was a huge LA Lakers fan. Which I mean, I like I can understand. Like if I was in a movie and they're like, "You live in New York, we want you to wear this Yankees hat." Not going to do it. I I yep. won't. Um, There's somebody like that. Somebody else has done that recently, but I can't remember. Who I can't remember who that is. Fun fact, although I believe now it's not going to happen, I actually, you know how much I love Ben. Yes. Who's not in this movie, but I also like Matt. I actually turned on them for about a year and a half because they got to attach to write and direct a movie about a Yankee player. And I was like, those turncoats, there are so many Red Sox players they can make a movie about. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Make a make a movie about Babe Ruth before he went to the Yankees. Uh, they did. It had John Goodman. Not a memorable movie. No, what movie are you talking the about? The Babe. Oh, right. So, I really love Jack Nicholson in this movie. Me too. I like Jack Nicholson in every movie, though. Some Again, sometimes it just feels like he's playing Jack Nicholson. This, he does and he doesn't at times. Yes, I uh, agree. Yeah. I think... He's a. It's a subtle unhinging in this film until with, it becomes unhinged, right? But that's what it calls for at that moment. But you've also seen Jack kind of flip a switch when it comes to unhinged. The Shining, the Joker. You know, those are. This movie feels like he's playing the Joker again at times. He's. You know what movie sometimes feels like he's playing the Joker? Anger management. Yeah, he's got that Jack glint in his eye. Michael Caine, this is, I just finished reading uh, The Elf, Elf into Hollywood, which is the Michael Caine memoir. Mm-hmm. It's his second one, I should say. Uh, he credits Jack Nicholson with his renaissance 
Oh, nice. Which is very... I, I, I cannot recommend reading that book enough if you like film. It was really good. And Michael Caine is so positive about his entire experience. Nice. If he didn't like working with somebody... He wouldn't say. He would just kind of pass over <laughs> saying anything bad about anybody. My favorite, he talked about being in Quills with Joaquin Phoenix. And he said, like, Joaquin Phoenix was one of the weirdest and hardest working actors he's ever met. But I think weirdest was, like, the the meanest thing he right. said about anybody in the whole book. It was such a good, it was such a good listen. I listen to it because he narrates the audio book. Yeah. But he credits Jack Nicholson with hit the launch of his career because they're good friends, as yeah. they say, or as he says. I, I So I recommend it if you want to know more of that story. Uh, so I really like Jack Nicholson in this movie. I like Martin Sheen. I don't like Martin, Martin Sheen's Boston accent. No, it's not He's great. had a better one because he plays the Kennedys. Every time they do a Kennedy movie, he plays a Kennedy. Is he it's, in Chappaquiddick? I don't think so. Uh, well, but then you've ruined the trend. <laughs> Uh, he was in, he you know, he was in the the other Kennedy the movie. other Kennedy movies. Was he in Thirteen Hours? Was it Thirteen Ke- Days? Thirteen Days. No, no. Kevin oh. Costner was. Ah, yes. Uh, I forgot who actually played Kennedy. I, I can't in that. remember, but I know Greg Kinnear's played Kennedy. So Martin Sheen has played, played him Kennedy, before. Huh? I think. Huh? Matthew Matthew Perry played Kennedy. I think. Really? Yes. Was oh. he? In the one with Katie Holmes, this no. is this could be a no, whole Kennedy, episode the, of itself. Katie Holmes was the Greg Kinnear Kennedy. Okay, again, this could be a whole yeah. episode of itself. So We're not Martin doing Sheen this. Is okay. I don't like a lot of the Boston accents. Even Matt Damon seems to play it up a little bit. Much. I I think this was at an era where it's almost like we gotta play it up because people gotta know what it sounds like. Yeah, you know we're not at I an, hate that so much. We're not at we're not at the time in film. This is also one. Take a step back. This is the area we live in, and so we're a little bit more critical of the accents because you can tell the difference. You also hate the accent in the first place. Yes, right. Because I always feel like even like when I'm in Boston, I hear people talk and. They like not as many people talk with a Boston accent. No, it's usually many people only, do not. It's usually only when they're drunk or they're acting like a moron. I know some, and people I that don't ha- like either I, of those states. I that's true. I know some people that do just have a permanent one. Yeah, but I know many people who do not. Have you ever seen? Do you know the Seth Meyers Boston yeah. movie? I love that one because it's uh, you know like. All the things filmed in Boston, like shots of Fenway, and you know when you're from Southie, you know it's about friendship, loyalty. Yeah. Oh yeah. Why don't we meet in Swampskit, Taunton? What about Revere? You know, and all of those jokes in there started. I think they really started with Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. But then The Departed really blew that up. So, so I wonder. I wonder if people from so there's a lot of movies that get made. About and in New York. Yes. But not every movie that does that has people going, hey, I'm making a pizza over here. That's true. You know. Because they're not all Italian-Americans. No, but not everyone in Boston is Irish. Good point. So 
I want to know, like, does that actually, I wonder if that actually affects people from New York, too. Like, if they hear the stereotypical New York accent, if it's like, oh, God, I hate that so much. Maybe people are more used to it now. Or I think in some way, it in some ways it depends if you take pride in something like that or not. Many people take pride in the Boston accent and it being weird. They and should you, be. And, and the fact that you can't do it unless you're from here or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a very difficult accent to get right. Someone was just telling me that they... Uh, they went to the South or California or something like that, and the accent people didn't recognize the Boston accent. They thought oh, it was yeah. they thought it was English because you get a lot of dropped R's over in the UK too. Yeah. So people are like, oh, how's London these days? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I can tell you about New London, I guess. <laughs> My favorite is the the times that I've traveled and people found out that I was from Massachusetts. Yep. They're like, oh, say a, say a sentence. And I'll say a sentence. They're like, oh. It's like, say park the car. And I'm like, park the car. And they're like, oh, you, why, aren't, why aren't you doing your accent? I'm like, I. Because I don't have one. Like, I don't drop my, I very rarely drop my R's. I've, I've caught myself a few times, but mentally I'm always. I'm always trying to keep the R there. You're on top of it. Sometimes I do it depending on the company I keep. Yeah. If I'm around, I'm I'm an accent kind of I'm an accent chameleon or like or I that's can't, true. So if I'm around people with accents, yeah. it just I just form into it. Many times I've walked in where you're conversing with your cat in like perfect cat. And yeah, but that's because we have a special bond. <laughs> Anyway, that's the departed. Yeah. Right? Are we done with the departed? Yeah, kind do, of. Do you want to say any more things about the departed? <sighs> no, not really. No. Okay, great. All right. So let's do our 2007 awards. Okay. Here we go. Best supporting actress. Go. Go ahead. Oh, I'm going to go this time. You're going to go first. Ooh. I'm going to give it to Adriana Barraza, who was the who was the nanny in Babel. I thought she was excellent and she was so so intriguing to watch in a movie that could have been rather terrible, but wasn't because I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm going to give it to Vera Famiga, I believe is how you pronounce her name, from The Departed, who plays the worst psychiatrist in the history of the world. She only has two patients that we see, and she sleeps with both of them, but she, she affects the story a lot more. And you thought that her performance was... It was good. A-okay. I also really like her as an actress. That's good. What else has she been in? She uh, is usually in American Horror Story. Gotcha. I got you. All right. Best Supporting Actor. Do I want to go? Or do you want to go? Best Supporting Actor for me would probably stick with Alan Arkin. I also want to say Steve Carell. Like, I want to split the ward in twain. Like, I was Solomon... Yep. But I'm going to give it to <laughs> the Alan pie Arkin. shall be split in two. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I shall get both of them. Yeah, and kill those guys. <laughs> um, I am giving it to Paul Dano. So I think it's interesting. Ooh, we all went for yeah. a little bit, a little bit of sunshine. I almost gave it to Alan Arkin because he was really good. But he's always really good. Yeah. And Steve Carell, I think, is also really good. But this is not the best I've seen Steve Carell. See, I would say it's probably one of my favorites, Steve Carell. Uh, you, gotta, you have to see The Way Way Back, even if it's just for Steve Carell. Because you like Steve Carell, right? Yeah. Steve Carell is the most unlikable person in that film. 
Well, I mean, he's supposed to be. So it's like it works for <laughs> he's him. He's the hero of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it works for him. But I, I love Steve Carell. And I hate him yeah. in that movie. Okay. And that is such a good performance. I mean, I hate him in Foxcatcher, so. Sure, but again, he's also a weird creep. Yeah. So I'm going to give it to Paul Dano because I think he's underserved in okay. some ways in a lot of films. Best cinematography. What do you think? Babel. Babel? Yeah. I think it was excellent. I'm going to give it to Tom Stern for Letters from Iwo Jima. Okay. Because, because I know you gray. didn't like the gray, but I think it really worked. And a film that doesn't have, I guess, a lot of setting. Mm-hmm. It's just the island. I think he utilized that space really well. Okay. And I thought it was quite beautiful in a sad kind of way. Best actress. What do you say? Best actress. Helen, Helen Mirren. Mirren for the Queen. Yeah. Because... She's, it's Helen Mirren because she's the queen. Right. All bow to Helen if, Mirren. If we don't, if we don't give it to her, she's going to show up and kill us. She could too. Yeah, she's so strong. Yeah, <laughs> best actor, uh, Jack Nicholson. You know, I was so close to giving it to Jack Nicholson. I really was. I even had his name on here, and I crossed it out because I think because you misspelled it. I think no, I spelled it right. I think Kenna Wanatabi. Is, yeah, he's he's he, he's good. He's always good. Yeah, and he's underutilized in so many films. And I think his present. I think he may be what really made me care about Letters from Iwo Jima. I probably wouldn't have liked it as much if it wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. But even like the, when he first steps onto the island, and he's like. No, we're going to walk because walking is good for us. It's healthy. Let's go. <laughs> I loved that. And then that scene at the dinner table when the woman was like, what if America and Japan go to war? And he's like, well, then I kill you. Well, like, yeah. Well, I think that would be silly because we're friends. Like, <laughs> no, but what if we go to war with each other? Oh, well, then. I mean, it would be stupid and blah, blah, blah. But I think, like, there's a lot of subtext to his performance, and I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. He was very engaging for me. Jack Nicholson for me, this was the best Jack Nicholson I've seen in a while, because I always feel Jack Nicholson is playing the same character regardless. Sure, and this seemed to actually branch out a bit. Interesting. Did he win for this? No, who, he did not. Who won Best Actor this year? Ah, uh, you look that up while sure. I go through, and I'll say I'll do Best Music while that. Uh, best music for me, Alexander Desplat for the Queen. Um, uh, okay. I I originally I had thought about it a lot. I had originally given it to Gustavo Central uh, Centalala, I think his name is, for Babel because one Babel won this year. It was excellent, excellent music. But there was something about the progression of the film and the Queen that matched with the the music, where it didn't. St- the, it didn't start really with anything, and then it, as the film built momentum, so did the music, and they really worked in tandem well together. Mm-hmm. And even by the end of the film, it's not just like, oh, here's this lovely like string piece, you know, like oh, everything's fine now, blah 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 blah. There's almost a disquiet and a discomfort, and then it transitions again. It was real, like it, like it almost mirrors the film itself, where there's a a discomfort and then we move forward it's, it was really well done yeah um so jack nicholson wasn't nominated at all really and it was forrest whitaker for last king of scotland oh uh, totally deserved uh, totally deserved yeah it was him p 
Peter O'Toole for Venus, which is a movie I actually really like. I've never seen it. It's good. It's a little creepy, but good. Okay. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio for Blood Diamond. Eh. Ryan Gosling for Half Nelson. That was kind of his breakout. Yep. And Will Smith for The Pursuit of Pursuit of Happiness. Happiness. Yep. Wow. Wow. Interesting lineup that year. This era of the 2000s is so interesting. Like 2004 to 2010, 2009, 2010. Very interesting groupings of films. That might. Maybe 2008. Just like this. There's just a couple of years like where they just were going in a weird. Films were in a a strange place. And so they were. The range is all over the place. Uh, Yeah. But. Um, so for music, I'm going to stick with Babel. I like, there were times that I was like, eh, this is a little bit on the nose. Like it, it had like some stereotyping of the music that should be in this movie, but there were some really good pieces that I, that I enjoyed out of the Babel one. Well, that's very good. What about writer? Writing. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. Michael Arndt, Little Miss Sunshine. Also the award winner of the year. He won. Okay. Michael Arndt won Best Original Story. Babel, just because it has that one storyline. It could have been Babel, but it was that one storyline. I totally agree with you. I totally agree. The Departed is based off of um, an Asian movie, Infernal Affairs. Uh, But I feel like it it does what it's supposed to do and it does it really well. Mm-hmm. But there's no there's no mystery to it. I think if there was more of a mystery as to who was who. Sure. But you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, so that means we're going to open up the letter for the, the best... The letter? F- the envelope. Okay. The best film of the year. It goes to... I'm sticking with The Departed. I'm going to give it to The Queen. That's a good. It's a good choice. I can't... I can't argue against it. Yep. Um, and I can't really argue against The Departed either. I, and I get why it won. Yeah. I just, I think it, it comes down to it, it's just personal preference for me. This is a year that it's definitely personal preference, mainly because none of these, and yes, this is only 11 years ago, but none of these feel dated. None of these seem to be like, wow, I can't believe this got nominated over some stuff. And if I went back and saw the movies that came out in 2007, I might think that. But these were pretty solid. The only one I didn't really care for was Letters from Iwo Jima. That's And I, not a big fan of war films, actually liked Letters from Iwo Jima. I think, I think having seen Hacksaw Ridge... Just the so last, recently. So recently, like literally the last week. <laughs> yeah. Um, that that kind of colored my opinion even more so. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I like Babel. I really like Little Miss Sunshine. I think that would be my next runner up because of expectations versus what I actually thought of it. Mm, that's the, very interesting. The Queen is also very good. Like I would easily... I would easily recommend almost all of these movies. Agreed. And not to just various people. Like, you, I want to see a movie. Watch one of these four. You know, I am I am in agreement. This was an odd lineup of films. It, it really was. Normally, you can kind of see a through line. Yeah. And I couldn't find one. The through line this time was, we're going to nominate one of every genre. Kind of, in a weird way. And I enjoyed, actually, from 
watching these films in kind of quick succession. Yeah. Kind of enjoyed that. Because yeah. I don't feel like I'm watching the same thing three times. I, yeah. Which in some years when we've done, like, you, I've, you know, like three out of the five films are war films. And they're like, all right, I get it. Yeah. And they're like two and a half hour, three hour war films. And you're oh. like, ah. Oh. I know two of these were under two hours. Yep. I was so happy. You Thank go, you. guys. Thank you, Little Miss Sunshine of the Queen. <laughs> anyway. That's it for us today. So you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and find us in all of the places that podcasts can be found. You can also head over to Thoughtable Audio to check out all over all other Thoughtable Audio shows, including but not limited to Beer with Geeks, Hate Watch with Us, Supergirl TV Talk, Tolkien TV Talk, Shoe Krypton. You're just shorting it to Shoe Krypton? That's what they call it. Oh, do they That's what they call it. it. Starkville House of El Krypton. They call it Shoe Krypton. Okay. So, which is something that I think I've been, like, in the conversation with. So, that's what I've noticed. So, I'm just going to start calling it that, too. Because it's much easier. I find it very odd that you list the three podcasts that you're on before Shoe Krypton. Oh, well, they always mention Shoe Krypton first, so it doesn't matter. Actually, Shoe Krypton is doing why, very well. Why is Shoe Krypton, Krypton like, talking about Shoe Krypton? <laughs> Krypton was excellent, and people should check it out. You can also check out Metropolis Podcast, which is our which is our newest foray. Which the, oh, we yeah, we, there's an episode up, right? Yeah, yeah, there might be more than that now by the time this by, comes By out. the time this comes around, definitely. Yep. But I, just, I noticed that the Twitter account just got active. Mm-hmm. Yep, and which is they're talking about the... The newest addition to the DC TV lineup, which is Metropolis, which will be digital, which will be to the digital, the Warner Brothers DC digital streaming service, which is very exciting. It it seems like we're missing a Titan show. I'm just throwing it out there. I have actually said that before. We'll talk off air, okay. or somebody <laughs> want to write in. Let, we don't have one yet. Let us know. We don't have one. We need a host for it. Let us know. Well, anyway, so that's it from us. But I think they're playing us off. No, I have so many more people to thank. Bye. Bye.